You're listening to audio from Seven Mile Road Church in Waltham, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. If you'd like to check out more of our resources or learn more about our church, please visit sevenmilewaltham.com. All right, good morning. Good morning. My name is Dan. Um, so let me just introduce myself real quick. I, there are some familiar faces here, so um, this will be a repeat for you. But I was born and raised in Chicago. Anyone from the Midwest area? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Indiana. Um, was born and raised in Chicago. I moved out to Boston uh, about six, 15 years. No, man, 15 years ago? It's been a while. Okay. Uh, since then, have been uh, married, um, have four children, which I am lucky to be fully taken care of today all by my lonesome. Uh, my wife is working um, this morning, so um, this, their, their joy, you'll see one of them running around uh, because he uh, thinks he owns this place already. So that's sort of my life in a nutshell. Um, I also work downtown, uh, have pastored a church um, in Malden for about 10 years, uh, and we currently attend the Seven Mile Road Melrose Church. Um, that we just prayed for. So that was awesome. Um, and I'm excited because I remember during uh, the COVID time when you were kind of, kind of streaming those services, I just remember this back here. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was very excited to come see this in person because this is fantastic. I aspire to be great today. Um, so love it. Yeah, Pastor Clint has told me a lot about this church, about the things that that God has been doing among you guys, and so it's really clear that um, God is with you uh, and doing a great work in and through you all. So thanks for inviting me here. Uh, let me pray for us before we get into God's word. Uh, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, but let me pray for us before, before we open that up. Father, we... Just humble ourselves at this moment before you and under your word. We ask that the Spirit of God would speak through these words so that the people of God can hear your voice. Not mine, not the person sitting next to us, but I pray that your voice would be the loudest in this room. May we hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how many of you grew up near a body of water? I know Indiana did it. Uh, body of water? Couple, only a couple folks. Really? Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, how many of you grew up uh, with a family that owned a boat? So there's like only four of you that might have had a chance to own a boat. Oh, okay. Love it. Or maybe knew a family that owned a boat, which is even better than owning a boat yourself. Um, okay. So you might have spent some regular time on a boat, hopefully, yeah? Uh, how many of you have been on a sailboat in particular? Sailboat? Ooh, got one. So you kind of know what my experience is going to be like in a second. Well, I grew up in the Midwest, like I said, so I never grew up around a large body of water. Lake Michigan was the biggest thing that was going around. Uh, I know nothing about boats, but uh, several years ago, a friend of mine, Took me, on, took me and Caroline on his sailboat in the Boston Harbor, and it was a fascinating experience. Because what I learned that day, over the course of four to five hours on the harbor, 
is that sailboats are the most inefficient means of travel. <laughs> they, if you want to get somewhere, do not ride a sailboat. Uh, because you're at the mercy of the wind, right? So you just never know where it's blowing. You don't know how to kind of catch it. But they, if you want to travel from point A to point B, did you know that you have to travel like in a zigzag pattern? It doesn't go in a straight line. It's, it is very inefficient to travel on a sailboat. And so for those four to five hours that I was on the harbor with my friend, I don't think my friend sat down for more than 30 seconds or a minute. He was constantly moving the, the jib, the sail, the rudder, and all these things. He was constantly working and in motion, and it didn't look like he was having fun. So uh, I don't recommend the sailboat. Maybe you, you, you might look forward to that, but for me, I'm out. But that's what life on a sailboat is like, right? The boat is not self-propelled. There's no motor there. It, it can't keep you going in a direction with little to no effort. You have to pay attention to the winds. You have to pay attention to the direction of uh, things around you and the waves and all of that. And you have to uh, do that in order to fight against the waves that are constantly coming against you. Right? If you slack off for a second, if you lo- lose focus for a moment, you run the risk of crashing into another boat, crashing into the rocks, you run the risk of drifting into rough waters. Sailboats require you to maintain focus, maintain attention to the surroundings uh, uh, around you, because the power that propels the boat comes from beyond it. And like the sailboat, Our lives require you to pay attention. Neglect your car for any period of time longer than a year. What's going to happen to your car? I saw one the other day. It's going to blow up in flames on the side of I-95, right? You got to change your oil, folks, okay? If you don't change your oil, bad things will happen, right? Neglect any area of your life, and you'll see what happens. Uh, uh, things will start to decay. Things will start to uh, kind of um, degrade. The status quo is not static, right? It it happens in your relationships. If you neglect your relationships, don't pay attention to your friends or family, what's going to happen? Those relationships will naturally devolve. They will, uh, you'll start to drift apart. They will grow into dysfunction. It's true of friendships, marriages, uh, any kind of things. If you don't put in the effort, it will atrophy, right? Just think about your physical body. If you don't pay attention to what you put into it, if you don't pay attention to what you do throughout your day, what's going to happen to your body? It will grow into a shape. It may not be the shape that you want, but it will be a shape, right? It will grow into uh, uh, something that maybe is undesirable for you, right? You can have all the best intentions to do the right things and have all the right plans, but if you don't actually attend to those things, if you don't attend to the things in your life, everything tends to drift towards dysfunction, danger, or worse yet, destruction. The status quo is not static. Our lives have a tendency to drift from what is healthy and whole to what is dysfunctional and destructive. And that's what, why God's warning through the writer of Hebrews is this in chapter 2, verse 1. He comes out from the beginning of the letter and says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 
I don't have to remind you of this, but the age that we live in today is not favorable to the Christian faith. Our, Our culture is not one that encourages us to thrive as we follow Jesus in our relationship with Jesus, right? The winds are not at our backs, so to speak. Instead, we're all standing in the waters of a culture who is constantly pulling us further and further away from the pillars of the Christian faith. We live in a culture that considers the scriptures incompatible with a happy and thriving life. I don't have to tell you this. You guys feel this. You know this. And if there's ever been an age where the winds of change are strong enough to knock you over, we're in it right now. We're in that time. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, the way that the author goes about in Hebrews, the way that the author goes about grabbing your attention is the same way a championship, uh, champion boxer gets the attention of his opponent. Right? I don't know much about boxing, so you're, you're going to tell just by how I punch. Uh, like a champion boxer, uh, like a champion boxer, the author kind of has this one-two combo. Okay? One is the jab, right? You kind of measure. It's the foundational punch. Some of you are boxers, right? I'm, I'm I'm going to look foolish here. All right. Uh, one is the, the jab, the, the foundational punch to measure yourself to get a good rhythm. Um, and then you set yourself up for the powerful punch, the cross. So jab, jab, cross. That's the same thing, the same rhythm that the author is going to do all throughout the letter to the Hebrews. So go back and read Hebrews chapter 1, that the preceding chapter, and you'll notice that there's not a single command, there's not a single directive, not a, a to-do or call to action, it's description and declaration. Description and declaration. The author says, hey, a long time ago, God used to speak through the prophets, used to speak through the angels, but in the last days right now, God has spoken to us by his son. And he just piles it on. He says, God, is, Jesus is glorious and why he's so much greater than anything we've ever known. So for an entire chapter, we hear the author exalting the name of Jesus. Jab after jab after jab. He's measuring his opponent, readying for that power punch. Which comes in the very next verse of chapter, very first verse of chapter two. We hear the very first exhortation of his letter. He says in chapter two, verse one, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. If the first chapter was a whole lot of wow, the first verse in chapter two is the pow. Is that corny enough? Okay, good. Because the cornier it is, the more you're going to remember. Wow and pow. That's a, consi- that's a consistent shape of this letter, right? It's a one-two combo. Jesus is glory, sober warning. Exaltation, and then exhortation. Wow, and then pow. There you go. You got it now. Right? It's littered throughout the letter, right? It, it, chapter three does the same thing. Jesus is so much greater than Moses. So, take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. Chapter 5 and 6 does the same thing. Jesus is greater than any high priest. Therefore, let us go on to maturity. 
not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. He begins with the glorious run of truth of how Jesus is far greater than the angels or Moses or the high priest or the covenant. He's better than all of these things. And then he hits you with the sober warning. So as we hear that sober warning to God's people this morning, I hope you see two things in this text. One, our drift, our drifting is imperceptible. And two, our focus is on Jesus. Our drift is imperceptible, and our focus is on Jesus. The warning here is that we're prone to drifting. I think we might feel this in different areas of our life, maybe even as you follow Jesus. The original word for drift away here is the nautical term for a ship in the harbor who's, um, who's slipped its moorings. Now, most of us haven't grown up around boats or nautical vehicles um, like myself, so I had to look this up. But when a ship docks, you guys probably seen this maybe in the harbor, when a ship docks, a shipmate throws this rope onto the person on the deck or whatever it is, dock, and they take the rope and they tie it around that kind of mooring thing, the thing on the the cement on the the, uh, dock there. Well, imagine a big boat slowly slipping that rope slowly slipping from that mooring. Or imagine a car parked, this is easier for me to imagine, but imagine a car parked on a slight hill, and without you knowing it, imagine the parking brake just slowly losing its way. The idea here is the drift is largely imperceptible until it's already too late. In one of C.S. Lewis's most creative books, some of you probably read it, The Screwtape Letters, Uh, He records letters exchanged between um, a senior demon who was advising a junior demon, right? And the senior demon is is, um, kind of mentoring this junior demon and how to uh, ruin the followers of Jesus. And in one section, the senior demon writes back to the junior demon and he says these words. You will say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, You are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. You guys hear that, right? The most dangerous path for a Christian is the comfortable path of a slow and steady descent. The threat of fading from Jesus doesn't happen in one fell swoop or one catastrophic event. People aren't likely to take one gigantic leap away from Jesus, but you better believe we are prone to lean away a thousand little times. And the cumulative effect of that leaning will cause us to fall. That's why our greatest threat is distraction from the things of God. Callous doesn't form overnight, right? callous heart is cultivated through weeks, months, and eventually years of neglecting the things of God. Our drift is imperceptible until it's already too late. 
So what's the remedy to this drift, right? How do we, how do we combat this? Well, uh, he says, pay much closer to attention to what we have heard. Now, that command, pay much closer attention, it actually sheds light to the mechanics of how we drift and therefore how we, to, how we are to combat it. In other words, he doesn't tell us, hey, keep your feet firmly rooted in the ground lest you drift away. Because if, if he said that, then you would know the reason why you tend to drift is because your feet aren't in a good stance or you're standing on something that may, be not, be, may not be stable. Or he doesn't say, hey, you need to put on 30 more pounds lest you drift away. Because if he said that, then you would know, you know what, maybe uh, I, I'm a little lightweight or uh, maybe I need to um, kind of get some more mass so the winds don't blow me away. Instead, he says, pay much closer attention lest you drift away. Which means the reason why we drift, or what reason why our drift is imperceptible is because we lose focus. We lose attention. So how do we keep from drifting? Keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. Now, what does that look like? Now, in other parts of the letter, the author, author points you to a plethora of ways that you can keep from drifting and keep your focus on Jesus. He points you to the grace of God's people, and he said, exhorts you to not neglect meeting together, encouraging one another uh, in this way, and he says that's one way of keeping focus on Jesus. He commands us to pray and seek intimacy with Jesus, and that's one way to keep uh, focus on Jesus. But here in chapter 2, there's really just one directive for, uh, for, for us. It says, pay much closer atten- attention by listening to what we have heard. By listening to Jesus' words. Right Back in the day, he, he'd speak to our ancestors through prophets and through angels. But in these last days, right, he said, he's speaking to us through his son Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, or Apostle John says, uh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen glory and glory as a son, uh, only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So now that Jesus has come, and now that he's spoken, let the words of God, the good news of salvation, wash over you daily. Pay attention by listening to his words. Don't ignore the clearest means of God's revelation in speaking to you. Feast on God's words. Give attention to them. Actually, read your Bibles. God's speaking to you through his words. Don't starve because you didn't eat. The revelation that you can hold in your hands today, the thing that you can search, actually, the technology has made it amazing. You can just search for things. It's amazing. Use that. The angels long to have this. And you have it in the palm of your hands. In fact, the force of this phrase, pay attention, is much more than just like turning your head towards something or kind of giving, um, carefully attending to something. The force of this phrase is basically obsessive focus, all-consuming focus. In other words, um, let the words of Jesus 
permeate through every area of your life. Let the words of Jesus permeate through every area of your life. Gospel salvation doesn't put a hold on your calendar for two hours on a Sunday morning. Gospel salvation puts a hold on every hour of every day. If you're regularly wondering what Jesus' words do with your nine to five, then you're paying much closer attention to what you have heard. If you're wondering how Jesus' words change your relationship to your neighbors, then you're paying much closer attention to what you have heard. Following Jesus is much more than just saying you believe some truths. You're following Jesus when your greatest desire is to have Jesus rule and reign over every area of your life because you know that the life that Jesus has promised you is far greater than anything you can manufacture on your own. And in a way, in verse 2, the author of Hebrews says something like that. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What the author is saying is that if God gave us the law on Mount Sinai and transgressing that law had very clear and grave consequences, how much more for neglecting the great salvation that Jesus has promised in his gospel? The question is rhetorical for a reason. It's obvious. The consequences of ignoring Jesus are grave. Now on the other side of that, the blessing of paying attention to Jesus is far greater than anything you can imagine. Now, I don't want you to believe that now that you've been saved by grace, you have to complete that salvation through a bunch of tireless work. That's not the spirit of this text. In fact, let's go back to that one-two combo, right? Um, the author, because uh, author throughout his letter, he's always rooting his exhortation in exaltation. Right? His command is pay much closer attention. And that only comes after a full chapter of remembering all the glorious work of God in Christ. That's how Christianity works. Like some of you might approach the Christian faith and you think, well, if I want to go to heaven, I have to do all these things and I have to avoid all these bad things, and then I'll get there. But what we've heard and what you know about the scriptures, the gospel truth is something totally different. Romans, right? But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love for us was not uh, unlocked after a series of really good days or a series of really right decisions. No, we were still sinners, far from God, yet he demonstrated his love toward us. We were enemies of God, yet he rescued us from death. So the pattern of scripture is always gospel imperative. Do this. Pay much closer attention to what you have heard, rooted in gospel indicative. Christ has died for you. Christ has loved you. He's rescued you. 
right? Because Jesus has loved you while you were still against him, you get to love your enemies. You get to sacrificially love others. Because he gave you everything, because he became poor so that you might become rich, you get to be generous. Our gospel obedience is always rooted in Jesus' obedience. It's like a sailboat. The boat is not self-propelled. It doesn't have a motor to get itself somewhere on its own. In order for it to move, it needs to place its sails in the path of the wind. In this case, Christian obedience is fueled by the Spirit of God who empowers you daily. Our do is always powered by God's done. This is why the author says later in chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Right? He's commending you to hold fast the confession of our hope. For he who promised is faithful. If Jesus is your anchor, he will hold you as you hold on to him. So Seven Mile Road, the drag on our souls is greater than it's ever been. Maybe you feel it. Maybe you feel weary today. I know it's tempting to give up sometimes. I know it's probably a lot easier to give in and just go with it. But that's exactly what this letter is addressing. The letter to the Hebrews is a pastor's plea to his struggling people. They're being tempted and challenged. But he wants to encourage them. He wants to encourage his people by saying, I I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. I know you're struggling. I know it would be much easier to give in. I I know you haven't had a lot of tallies in that win column. I know your circumstances are difficult. I know that, uh, you know, the the card might be stacked against you. But I need you to know. I need you to stick with me. Please, whatever you do, don't drift away from Jesus. Remember the great salvation that he promised you. You have a tendency to drift from that. So wake up. Pay attention. Don't drift from Jesus. That's the spirit of this letter. Let me read you what this pastor says about Jesus to wake his people up. And this is what the focus should be on. In chapter 1, he writes, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Don't miss the glorious truths of God right in front of you. Let's not assume that growth towards Jesus will just happen. Rather, let's be intent on paying attention, much closer attention, to what we have heard. Let the truths of Jesus, the good news of his gospel, permeate every area of your life. Because Seven Mile Road, Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your warning to us, reminds us that we do have a tendency to drift. 
My heart is prone to wander. Help me to see the great salvation that you promised. Help me to remember what you have done for me. And I pray that I would lean, that we would lean into that grace every single day, lest we drift away. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.